Welcome to Destination Charging, a podcast by PowerDot, your insight into the future of sustainable mobility. Join us as we explore the different perspectives of those who are accelerating the world towards a greener future. I'm joined today by Sherif Rahim. Hello, Sherif. Hey, Mathieu. Good afternoon. Great to have you here. Uh, Sherif, you're, you're the managing director at Improved, a corporate finance boutique firm. So you advise on many mergers and acquisition deals shaping the technology, energy, and mobility industries. Can you tell us a few words about yourself and Improved's activities? Yeah, thank you so much, Mathieu, and uh, you're spot on in the introduction. We're a corporate finance boutique specialized in the tech energy mobility sectors. We operate across Europe uh, and North America, where we have uh, a lot of sector specialism with uh, M&A transactions, but also executing fundraising transactions uh, across uh, the whole energy transition and mobility space, and actually everywhere where innovation uh, interacts with uh, the different sectors that we uh, that we cover. Um, we're a team of uh, 20 people. Um, we specialize in uh, EV charging and done uh, about 35 transactions in the whole value chain of EV charging, including a number of infrastructure transactions and where we got to know the PowerDot uh, team as well when we supported you with the uh, 150 million capital raise from uh, Ontan Infrastructure Partners last year. Yeah, indeed, you, you advised us on, on, that, uh, on that great adventure in, in May 2022. And you've been at Improved since day one, right? Yeah, really joined the firm uh, straight out of university. Um, initially, we focused on the technology sector. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, I think there were uh, maybe two uh, two electric vehicles on the road in, in the Netherlands. And uh, around that time, also quite some EV charging companies started to build uh, companies and uh, thinking through how the future of e-mobility would look like uh, from a charging infrastructure perspective. Um, we were quite broadly focused on different sec sectors in the technology space, uh, including enterprise software, fintech, marketplaces, uh, conferencing, telecoms. So we saw quite of the developments in technology um, and were supporting entrepreneurs, investors, and corporates at that time with uh, capital raisings and M&A transactions in the tech sector. In 2017, we saw a huge uh, increase of interest in the e-mobility space. And since then, we've specialized in, in this domain and we've seen the market uh, grow at an astonishing pace. We've seen companies flourish and doing quite some interesting um, uh, strategies and execution of uh, business plans uh, over time. And um, I think the last four years have been really interesting with uh, the companies uh, we've been following for quite a bit of time maturing and growing to certain levels that, uh, that now are becoming market leaders and consolidators and really mature companies in this e-mobility transformation. So really joining Improve from the start, uh, growing along with the firm, but also following sectors that have tailwinds and growing at a very uh, rapid pace. And uh, it's, a, it's a joy to, uh, to work in e-mobility space uh, with companies like PowerDot. Great, and so you mentioned 35 transactions, that's just in the e-mobility space? Yeah, that's uh, only EV charging. Um, so we work with infrastructure uh, companies like owner operators from uh, passenger vehicle uh, destination charging uh, CPOs like, uh, like PowerDot, but also fast charging networks across highways, uh, truck uh, and commercial vehicle CPOs, 
So that's really the infrastructure side of the business. Then from a technology standpoint, you have hardware companies, software companies, energy management plays that really interact uh, with, uh, with the e-mobility transformation. Um, but also service companies and uh, I think every company that uh, that touches upon the EV charging space coming from different angles that where we uh, where we have done around 35 transactions in this domain. Nice. And and so when was the the first transaction? How far back does, does it take you? That brings us back to uh, 2017, a company called Numotion. Um, we were uh, uh, selected as the advisor to uh, actually initially start with uh, with a capital raising for Numotion. Um, but we realized it was such a strategic domain. Uh, we had utilities, oil and gas majors from all over the world coming to Amsterdam to pitch to Numotion why they were the preferred uh, acquirer of this business. Um, and that actually was quite an interesting moment where we saw all the business plans of these uh, large corporates um, looking to acquire capabilities in this EV charging domain. And then we realized how strategic this was. So this was back in 2017. In the end, Shell uh, bought this business, put us on the map on the e-mobility space. The day after closing the transaction, we were actually invited to pitch on uh, Allego, a business that is now uh, publicly listed. Uh, but um, at the time in 2018, we did a transaction with Meridium, carved out Allego to, uh, and sold the business to Meridium, a French infrastructure fund. Um, thereafter, they, uh, they did a listing um, and uh, the company has been uh, growing ever since. Um, but this was really early days and the Allego transaction, uh, we actually saw uh, a lot of infrastructure funds really looking uh, at the EV charging space as the next frontier of infrastructure of growth in infrastructure, where they could um, uh, put money at work, uh, get the right uh, risk and return profiles that they were looking for. And we actually saw uh, a whole range of infrastructure funds looking at the EV charging domain. So with that spectrum of the oil and gas energy groups and infrastructure funds, um, we were at that time really the first advisor with a solid track, track, tra uh, track record in the EV charging space. And that gave us a footprint to further expand into this domain. And we've done that uh, together with our team that has been doubling down and really focusing on this sector, uh, but also um, not only our core team, but also some associate partners that... Uh, we work closely with coming from really the industry, our senior advisors that uh, have operating experience and have um, a lot of track record and expertise in this domain as well. And we collaborate uh, uh, quite intensively with them and we are proud to call on our associate partners. Um, and with that, we have a unique team that's set up uh, to support entrepreneurs and investors uh, and corporates in this domain and to support them in capital raising and M&A transactions. We worked together in 2022 for our uh, 150 million euro fundraise with uh, the private equity fund Antin, Antin Investment Partners. Uh, before we dig deeper into that phase, are there any highlights that come to mind um, during our, our adventure together? Oh yeah, I think we had a we had a very interesting collaboration. Uh, I really look uh, very positively back to, to the collaboration with the Powerdot team. Um, again, a very, uh, competitive process with a lot of interest from, uh, from investors. I think if I look back, uh, one of the, the key moments that, um, that I, I find particularly interesting was actually the first meeting with the full management team of, uh, of PowerDot. Uh, you presented, uh, the, the, the team, the full team, the strategy, uh, the objectives, the thinking on how to deploy, uh, charging infrastructure, following the strategy and the thesis. And it really resonated well. And I think it was a very interesting and special meeting where 
we got really convinced that this was a, a platform with uh, infrastructure characteristics, with a team that can execute um, and with ability to raise capital. So then we decided to move forward and to, uh, to develop the plan. Um, I think we call it uh, Project Kilimanjaro uh, because it was a, uh, quite a climb and quite an, uh, quite an ambition. But, uh, but in the end, we got there with a high quality partner of uh, on-time infrastructure partners. I think definitely a partner that can support uh, Powered Up to the next phase. There was interest from other high quality funds. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was uh, really the, the, the team and the collaboration and uh, always with a, with a laugh and uh, having a lot of uh, fun together when working on these uh, highly intense uh, projects. Uh, that's, that's really uh, stands out. And I think thinking back at the time that we were thinking that we were collaborating really intensely, um, uh, one of the most impressive things I think really was the team of, of PowerDot. And um, I think that was also a critical aspect of the success of the project that we were working on. Yeah, so that, that was uh, Project Kilimanjaro. We're very fond of, uh, of summits at Paradop uh, because when we launched France, it was Project Mont Blanc. So uh, <laughs> they, there's a, a uh, common uh, etymology to all, all our projects. And so if, if we go back to roll back in time to 2022, it was really the year of investment rounds in the EV charging space. We had the waltz of, of players raising hundreds of millions. You know, off the top of of, uh, of, of my head, you had Ionity who raised 600 million euros with BlackRock, uh, Electra raising 160 million euros with Eurasio, NW Group 300 million euros with R Green. Um, of course, we were in there with Antin, uh, and at the end of the year, you had Bump um, with. 60 million to 280 uh, coming from uh, DIF Capital. So it was kind of as, of, as if all the infra funds were, were victim of FOMO, of, of fear of, of missing out, where they all wanted to pl place their bets on, uh, on their horse. Um, if you look back on, on your 10 years of experience, were there other industries where you, you saw they had this landmark year of fundraising where all the players... Uh, went in there um, in, in, in a race to, to raise uh, as much cash uh, as, as possible and try to beat the, the competitors? Well, obviously the EV charging space has some very interesting characteristics, which resonated really well with uh, infrastructure investors. But let's say if you draw some parallels to other infrastructure, other kind of uh, asset classes where infrastructure funds have deployed a lot of capital, you can look obviously at the telco space, fiber, um, have some comparable dynamics. Um, so I think there are, there are some other asset classes that have uh, shown comparable uh, dynamics. Also now, quite recently, uh, battery storage um, deployments have uh, increased uh, uh, from, from an investment uh, perspective as well. So from that point of view, really FOMO, mm, I don't think that was really the case. I think it was a good year from a perspective that you saw uh, interesting companies coming to market, high quality companies looking to raise capital. Uh, and also at the interest rates at that time and uh, the valuation levels that uh, investors were willing to pay for uh, a, a good year to execute transactions and also for, for infrastructure funds to find the platforms to back uh, and, and uh, provide the capital and, and, and the fuel and, and the firepower 
to expand and to execute on the plans. And the next wave of, uh, of, of transactions, I think, uh, are really kind of lower cost of capital, um, pools of, uh, pools of money that uh, will come at, uh, at play. So pension funds, core infrastructure funds, uh, but also non-dilutive capital instruments. We see more depth, uh, capital coming to the market, lenders getting comfortable with EB charging. So that's really the next frontier of, of capital going into the sector that we see. And, um, I think that's also maybe some uh, some parallels that can be drawn with other other asset classes where you've seen structuring and financial instruments maturing um, at pace, and uh, that's where we seeing the next uh, the next waves really uh, together with still quite some infrastructure funds that are looking to back play platforms in the space, look for high quality assets, and they're still around um, looking for uh, quite some of these platforms still looking for capital. And I think uh, with a with an edge and with um, high quality management teams, uh, we do foresee quite some successful transactions still taking place over the next uh, nine to twelve months as well. So you mentioned the uh, telco fiber, uh, battery storage, carbon capture uh, as um, similar industries uh, that that went through the, the same phase. Uh, and it's true that we we often compare um, EV charging as the new fiber. And, and actually, just a few weeks ago, I was at an event um, hosted by, by Auric, uh, the, the law firm, uh, where they, they have this Infra Week, where they do a series of conferences uh, on uh, different infrastructure um, dynamics. And the, the, the conference on EV charging was, is EV charging the, the new fiber? And you know, if we look at how fiber has evolved, what do you foresee the future of EVC networks to be? And uh, what do you foresee the, the future of, of CPOs to be? Um, if the, the same dynamics that happened uh, on fiber play out uh, on EVC. If you think about, let's say, some of the, the key dynamics and where we believe the successful companies will be, um, it's really the ones that have a clearly articulated strategy and are able to create density in certain geographies. So if you look at it from a country by country basis in Europe, it's really about dominating or being a leading player in a certain market where you have uh, barriers to entry, where you have a certain level of density, where you can create skill, quality, but also that level of operational excellence that will enable you to grow to profitability. Um, I think those are some really key characteristics that we see, uh, that we would see for the, the successful companies in this space. And I think the next 18 to 24 months will also show some of the platforms that will uh, not, not succeed, but also will struggle to, to pick up the pace and to uh, follow the pace of some of the leading platforms. So it's, uh, I think, a mix of some fundamental characteristics of these CPO companies um, uh, and, 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 and operators together with the right backing from uh, equity investors, but also ability to tap into further funding uh, from either equity or debt or a mix uh, of both uh, in order to continue to grow. But it's because it is a land grab uh, that, uh, that EV charging is in and um, with the right uh, location selection strategy, site acquisition strategy, proof points on utilization, uh, I think that will really create uh, at scale some very interesting uh, platform companies that uh, that are uh, going to further grow and to also outpace the competition uh, going forward. And you know, if if we dig into that and uh, you see how how fiber and the, the telco industry evolved, uh, at the time they were selling uh, megabits 
per unit. And then it shifted, it, this got completely commoditized and it shifted into pure subscription models. Uh, in, in our business, the megabits are the kilowatt hour. Uh, do, do, you, do you think it's feasible that we shift to a subscription model with energy or we'll still stay in this um, unit selling model given that energy production actually ha do, does have a marginal cost? Um, whereas compared to megabits, it's, it's much lower. Yeah, we see some interesting developments on the pricing um, uh, models. Um, I think also quite some um, kind of that part of the value chain, really the, the mobility service providers uh, are also kind of the ones really selling the kilowatt hours to the, uh, to the consumers or to the, to the businesses. Um, if you look at that space, uh, kind of a, an all-in subscription would be very difficult uh, because it will impact your margins. Uh, from an energy perspective, so I think there there's a fundamental difference with um, with the telco uh, model um, with real subscriptions that are all in. So from that perspective, I think there are some some differences. We do see quite some aggressive pricing, uh, still some land grabbing on that side as well to get customer bases. So OEMs, utilities, uh, and quite some. Um, some some uh, uh, some strategics that are bundling their offering and adding EV charging to their to their offering. So I think that's a very competitive uh, space to be in. And I think what's the interesting part of some of the operators uh, that that the only infrastructure uh, that you would be um, uh, independent of where the pricing will be, you'll be able to pass through price increases or at least. Um, uh, be able to uh, uh, to be uh, not sensitive to to pricing uh, pricing pressure, and I think with that's also the whole reason for having a solid footprint and a strong footprint in a given country, because it will increase your price power and enable you to pass on uh, any price increases or margin compression going forward. And I think that's where uh, the, the leading CPOs will definitely have a differentiator versus uh, some players that have a smaller footprint in a given country. So I think that's a real important uh, uh, aspect from an infrastructure perspective. And if you want to draw the parallel to the, uh, to, the, to the telco model, I think maintaining that pricing pressure and having the, um, the density in a certain country in order to, uh, uh, to keep that, um, that, that, uh, that power in the value chain is going to be a fundamental, uh, important strategic domain as well for operators to, uh, to show presence and to uh, show strength as well. Yeah, so, so you mentioned that um, currently the, the focus of most CPOs is, is land grabbing and it's really this site acquisition uh, strategy and execution. Uh, we're really in kind of a race against time. What, what other challenges do, do you see CPOs facing in, on the short to midterm and how do you see them um, overcoming them? Yeah, land grab is definitely one of them. So we do see site acquisition and definitely the strategy around uh, site acquisition. So um, uh, we see that uh, kind of the, the value of the real estate for CPOs is becoming a more important topic. So uh, how do you uh, compensate or how do you partner up with location owners or uh, go for a different type of strategy um, around site acquisition? Um, that's that's a definitely a, a very interesting question. So we've seen a lot of um, companies with strong pipelines and ambitions, but uh, really ability to execute on that and get access to those locations. I think that's 
really an important uh, driver uh, of, of value. Um, some of the other challenges that we see are around grid connections, uh, grid, um, uh, grid congestion, um, and uh, some of the delays because of the uh, grid operators not being able to pick up pace uh, along with the uh, EV charging companies. So it's, that's definitely an, uh, an interesting area where there can be uh, some large differentiation with uh, operators, EV charging companies that have been able to secure grid connections at scale and do that successfully and have uh, the ability to uh, to deploy quite large installments. Um, I think the the, the main uh, challenge or the main uh, proof point of, uh, of of some of the companies out there are is really proving utilization patterns. So how do you go around identifying the right location? Um, what is the traffic analysis? What is the underlying uh, analysis that's being done in order to identify the right locations? And then uh, showing the utilization patterns that, uh, that are projected, but also um, are outperforming markets. So you're getting a larger part of the market share uh, than your competitors. Um, and I think with that, uh, utilization is definitely a key uh, indicator of quality uh, for for many of the EV charging companies out there, but also from an energy point of view, working with grid operators uh, and getting the grid connections and managing quite large installments of EV charging equipment together together with the operating expertise and maybe to refer back to the to the success of the fundraise that we were doing together, I think that's really where PowerDot stood out on all the different aspects um, and also why I believe that the fundraising was very successful and got uh, quite some interest um, together with the ability to expand across across markets and uh, go after quite a large total addressable market and really make a dent and an impact uh, from that point of view. So I think let's say the, the decisions made over the last uh, two to three years will really drive the success of many of the operators uh, going forward now. And I think it's a uh, very interesting point in time because there's going to be it's going to be more challenging to raise capital going forward. There's going to be still capital available for the high quality plat platforms. We're uh, very confident on that. And there's going to be different pools of capital going to be unlocked for EV charging companies that uh, can show based on the strategic decisions that have been made um, that they're on that path to profitability and to market dominance in uh, certain countries. So I think to bring it really back to to PowerDot and, and the capital raise and also how we see other CPO uh, companies uh, developing going forward, uh, I think those are really the key aspects, having the right team in place, having a strategy, being able to execute and showing that path to profitability. And so, so uh, you mentioned the, the capital raise and uh, that it's, it's going to be, be more of a challenge now to, to, to raise capital, uh, especially given the, the current uh, interest rate environment. We, we've had this this change of wind uh, at the end of 2022, and since then we've seen much less fundraising, much lower valuations. Uh, so, how do you expect this to unravel in 2024? And how do you see uh, CPOs seeking funding in this more constrained environment? And what kind of exit opportunities do you think um, they they can aim for, and at what horizon? Yeah, all very interesting questions. Um, I think the, um, the 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 changing market for let's take infrastructure investors uh, driven by inflation and, and interest rates uh, that has definitely have an impact. So we do 
see that there is still interest in uh, this domain, still interest to deploy capital, uh, but there's a lot more scrutiny uh, from investment committees to to approve investment decisions. So uh, the focus on higher quality platforms that are more mature, uh, that is definitely there. Um, we do not in many cases see that valuations are impacted definitely in private transactions um, uh, at the scale that you would see in public investment, uh, public uh, asset classes. So some of the public EV charging companies, they um, have, a, have a tough time from a valuation perspective. But in the private transaction space, there are still quite some high quality assets that are getting good valuations. Uh, and it's all about positioning. It's all about hitting the right uh, points, but also showing the proof points that back that up. Really going to market with an ambition these days, it's 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 tough. You need to show the the, the real proof point, the maturity, the ability to operate and to uh, to to execute. And with that, I think valuations are still at um, at quite some attractive levels. So many uh, exit opportunities on the horizon that we foresee coming now. It's about consolidation. So how to expand from a uh, a platform across certain countries into new countries? Uh, how to move from a high quality platform that's backed by uh, by an infrastructure fund, but also to be able to show to profit, uh, move towards profitability. Are there certain investments that need to be done, but also are there certain assets that can be picked up at, uh, at attractive valuation? I think that's gonna be the next wave of, of transactions, but also um, new pockets of money coming to, uh, to the market. So pension funds, we see quite interested in EV charging and the broader energy transition space, they're gonna be quite active there, we foresee. And uh, core infrastructure funds, uh, different pockets of capital that are going to be uh, put at work. So we do see quite some large mega funds uh, still active and looking to to deploy capital. Um, I think also the in- independent platforms are continuing to win, are going to continue to win market share from some of the incumbents. Um, I think the 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 speed and agility of having an independent platform like uh, like PowerDot um, that's definitely something that will pick up during 2024. And uh, I think some of the incumbents will struggle to, uh, to, to maintain the pace of the incumbents, uh, sorry, of the, of the um, independent players that, uh, that are winning market share and are growing at pace. And that's also going to drive some large acquisitions from strategics that uh, are looking to uh, remain market leader in the space that they've historically been dominating um, and uh, acquire capabilities and, and, and land grab uh, through M&A and doing some quite some transformational acquisitions in this domain. Um, I also think that there are still uh, infrastructure investors out there looking for the right platform, uh, but a, little more ca- uh, a bit more cautious of, kind of are they backing the right quality platforms that they're looking for and are going to be um, uh, be backing the, the, the right capabilities and the right, uh, the, the, the right value drives that we discussed. So uh, again, more scrutiny from investment committees, um, but there's still a lot of money available to deploy in this, uh, in this space. And you mentioned the ability to expand to, to other markets. Um, what, what do you see as the next uh, geographical frontier for the, the EV charging space? We at Paratot, of course, pushed it pretty far as we, we've launched Poland um, and are already one of the largest players there. Where do you think that the next big markets to, to witness uh, uh, an arrival of many CPOs and a, a large-scale deployment of EV charging. Um, which ones do you think will, will they be uh, 
in 2024. Yeah, interesting to uh, see because the markets that uh, have electrified first, obviously Norway was way way uh, way ahead. We also did a transaction quite early on in in, in Norway where we supported uh, recharge in. Uh, um divesting the business from Fortum to uh to to infracapital um so that was obviously the the, the first market where you saw how e-mobility or ev fleets would uh um, would charge at a at a larger scale than uh, was ever seen uh in, on the global markets set aside china um that gave us a very interesting insights on how ev charging uh, uh how successful ev charging networks are deployed in other markets, uh, the bigger markets that have been electrifying fast are the UK, Germany, and France. The Netherlands has been quite far advanced. I think the next waves that you'll see are really kind of the, the Spanish market is uh, showing some interesting traction. I think, uh, or I know you're active there and uh, building some interesting, uh, some interesting network uh, in, in, in Spain. Central Europe, I think, is quite interesting um, uh, from an expansion point of view. Um, set aside let's say the european market or the passenger vehicle markets where we really see the kind of the next frontier of growth happening it's commercial vehicles so commercial vehicles are electrifying at pace right now many of the logistical companies are uh facing for instance in the netherlands or in the uk zero emission zones those regulations are going to kick in and going to drive a lot of uh growth of electrification of commercial vehicles and uh, I think that's really where we also see the next wave of growth uh, taking place over the next kind of three to five years. And then set aside that, obviously, the U.S. market, it's not really an expansion market for CPOs out of Europe going into the U.S. It's a very difficult uh, market to expand into. But uh, if you think about kind of the next waves of growth, the U.S. market is really two, three years behind where we are in Europe from an EV penetration standpoint. And I think there you'll see a rapid acceleration of e-mobility taking place as well. So if we, if we just take a, a step back now away from um, electric mobility, uh, you've of course been working in the, in the investment space for, for 10 years now uh, and been advising and um, accompanying entrepreneurs uh, uh, and providing, providing services and advice to, for them to realize their vision. What have you noticed are the common traits across uh, these uh, these entrepreneurs and these companies that make them successful um, for to, to fundraise in in the in the first um, in the first step and then to uh, be able to be successful in deploying the capital that has been given to them. It's a very interesting question. It's a difficult answer. I don't think there's any a common trait that I've seen across entrepreneurs. Every entrepreneur that I've worked with uh, is, is different in itself. Some um, really hands-on uh, in the details. Some more hands-off, kind of really uh, looking at things from a from a high level and identifying strategic directions for the companies that they lead. I think if I if I would need to kind of uh, choose one trait that I would see as common across uh, all the entrepreneurs I've worked with and definitely in the tech energy mobility sector that, uh, that that I'm active in. It's really the visionary entrepreneurs that are standing out and being able to articulate quite complex uh, value drivers and differentiators 
um, which can be fairly abstract at, at many times to um, investment opportunities and to articulate what are the value drivers and dif differentiators how to succeed in some of these uh, mega trends that, that that we see in these domains. So I think that's from um, from an entrepreneur standpoint um, uh, where I would see kind of the the main differentiator and uh, one of the common traits that I would uh, I could think of. Um, and I think maybe from uh, from from Powerbird's Power, Power perspective, speaking to the founding team, I think it was really the execution capabilities and how to bring that vision uh, to life uh, in in the pitch and uh, in the investor discussions, and really show based on proof points and ability to execute uh, high confidence on executing on the plan. I think that really stood out uh, from the Powerbird team. But yeah, I think. Um, that's that's quite a specific one, but uh, again, the vision and ability to pitch and to present um, kind of this e-mobility uh, thesis that uh, was that everybody should charge wherever they go, and how to translate that into investment opportunities. That was really a, a key differentiator, and how we got uh, quite some uh, some good interest from infrastructure funds. Yeah, it was. Uh, it takes me back to to the, those management presentations. Uh, that were uh, four-hour marathons where, where we had to be uh, extremely sharp uh, and, uh, yeah, deliver that vision. And um, yeah, I, th I think we, we both managed to, to frame it uh, in a very enticing way. So, so it, it, was, um, it was definitely a great, a great performance. And <clears throat> so to, to finish off uh, on a light note, what, uh, what would you say is the worst mistake you've, you've seen happen in a fundraising pitch? Uh, <laughs> um, well, we like to come always, uh, well prepared to, uh, to fundraising pitches. Uh, so I need to think really on one of the big mistakes. Well, it, it really starts really with, with simple things. Um, uh, when you think about fundraising pitches, it's by being well prepared and knowing who you're pitching to. So doing a bit of homework or if you speak to a fund, what other type of investments that they've done. Um, knowing what are the type of uh, type of um, uh, kind of the, the the type of profile investors you're speaking to. So every investor has a different risk and return profile. And if you're speaking to an infrastructure investor, it's a completely different um, angle and approach that you should take when you when you're speaking to a kind of an, a venture capital fund, for instance. So knowing who you're speaking to, I think that's one of the big. Um, uh, the, one of these simple things you can do, but has a big impact on the success of your of your pitch, and um, some really simple things of uh, having the right corrections. I think one of the biggest mistakes maybe is to be on the <laughs> on the go when doing an investor pitch. It's very important that you come well prepared and you make best use of everybody's time. Um, so uh, I would bring it down to very simple things. Uh, what could be very simple mistakes to to be. Uh, to be prevented if you come well prepared and um, you take the time to also do your homework and uh, make use of best uh, make best use of everybody's time so i think those are some of the i, I would think mistakes that, that could be easily prevented if you uh if you dive into that and also if you know the sector and having a uh, have, a, have a team around you that's educating you on kind of how kind of strategics are thinking about certain businesses what are the really the rationales of investing into other companies, understanding at quite a level of detail what the other party is looking for and how to uh, to pitch to to those investors. And that's why you know, we as Improve, we do believe that having sector expertise is 
fundamentally important as an advisor to be able to support uh, our clients and our our partners in successful capital raising and M&A transactions. Um, so I think that's that's really it. Becoming coming well prepared, knowing who you're pitching to, and tailoring your pitch to uh, what is important to uh, to to the counterpart, and also what you can back up with real proof points. So I think those are some of the key points when pitching uh, and looking for a successful fundraise. There you have it. Do your homework and do your KYC. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks a lot, Sherif, for for joining us and sharing your insights. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. So you, you can where can we find Improved on LinkedIn and uh, what's your what's your website? Yeah, Improved is uh, online, fully present. So you can find us online. Uh, our website improvedcf.com. We're on LinkedIn. We have a newsletter uh, where we aggregate all the uh, e-mobility, energy transition, and broader mobility news. So please subscribe uh, to our newsletter. Um, and if there's an interest to further uh, explore, uh, our contact details are on the website and uh, we're there to support entrepreneurs, investors, and corporates in this global transformation uh, in, the, in the energy transition and mobility space. So very much looking forward to uh, continue to do so and to also follow the journey of PowerDot and to support uh, wherever we can. Thank you for listening to Destination Charging. For more insights and to stay connected with our mission to accelerate sustainable mobility, please visit our show notes for links and further resources. Don't forget to review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, and keep moving forward with Destination Charging.